Matthew chapter 1 this morning, please. We'll build on that theme we just sang of. Creation's waiting, longing to see the fullness of our redemption, as Paul speaks of it in Romans chapter 8. Many of you will have some traveling to do in this next day or two. Uh, Some of you will have plans here in town. Uh, Enjoy all those things, all those family gatherings, any bit of rest from the normal routine. If you are free and can join us this evening, we'll gather at 5 o'clock for an hour of a Christmas Eve worship together. Uh, And if you are not here, we will certainly understand. We want this to be a special day of rest. And even in all the celebration and family gatherings and giving of gifts and such, uh, let it all be out of the joy that we have having been rescued by this Jesus who we're introduced to in Matthew chapter 1. Many people hope that Christmas will drown out their problems, hardships, and heartaches that make life painful. At best, then, Christmas becomes a brief respite, a timeout from the rat race as we know it. At worst, Christmas serves as as a concoction of traditions, memories, and nostalgia that might numb the pain of the brokenness that seems to fill up life. But from the Bible, we can know better. We can know that Christmas is the story of hope, a hope that endures through the dark clouds, through the bitter tears, through the heartaches, through the loneliness, through all the pain of life. In Matthew chapter 1, we are introduced to hope. God's plan to mercifully save sinners through Jesus Christ. As we've studied Matthew 1 in this December season, our first study taught us hope because God keeps his promises. We have Christmas tomorrow because God is faithful. Faithful to a promise from thousands of years ago that the devil's plan to sabotage man in the image of God created for his glory would be fixed. It would be salvaged, even restored. And God kept that promise. He promised a son, a sacrifice, a covering, a lamb, a healing that would arise, a king, a savior, and all of these promises find their yes, their amen, their completion in Jesus Christ. In our second study of Christmas hope, we learned that God saves his people. The promised son would come to Mary and Joseph, and the angel told Joseph, call him Jesus. Call him God saves, because that's what he will do. He will save his people from their sins. He would seek out and save the lost sheep. 
he would rescue his people. Now, as we look at Matthew 1 again, specifically at this list of names, we draw hope this morning from this truth that God uses broken people. God uses broken people. I hope you see this as good news. If you look back on the past year of ups and downs, of could-haves and should-haves, then take heart. God doesn't need perfect people. Rather, a perfect God graciously uses imperfect people to accomplish his great work. I want us to note a few observations this morning from this chapter, which is primarily the genealogy of Jesus. And I want us to begin by recognizing this truth, building on last week's study, that brokenness is every person's story. Brokenness is every person's story. It's the story of humanity, that we are ruined by sin. And we suffer under the consequences of a sin-marred creation. Not every suffering that we endure at present is the direct result of a sin we committed. There is, there is the great consequence of the wrath of God on sinners, which means we are under the curse of sin if we are still in unbelief and rebellion against God. But even having put our faith in Christ, we still live in a world that is marred by these consequences of sin. Genesis 3 reminded us last week that Adam, as our representative, plunged all humanity into sin and its consequence of death. When we come to Romans chapter 8, we find words such as longing, and hoping and groaning to describe the present reality of the Christian life, awaiting something better than this. Now, this can be good for the Christian. Today, even singing these songs and being reminded of the great truth of God's giving of his son to us, there are moments of true joy and peace in our hearts. And maybe there will be more of that today, more celebration of other good gifts and tomorrow as well. But we also know there is that longing and that hoping and that groaning that will never leave us in this life. First Peter chapter 1 speaks of a futility of sinful humanity. Isaiah 9, before predicting the coming Savior Son, speaks of the world this way as groping in darkness, in deep darkness. Brokenness is every person's story. It's, it's the, the, the harsh story of all the unbelievers, but even for the believer, there is an element of brokenness that will be in every chapter of the story of our lives. Every imperfection, physical, mental, emotional, relational, spiritual, 
Every imperfection is due to sin's pervasive and comprehensive ruin. Our text gives us a snapshot of humanity's brokenness. In this summary lineage of broken people, a family tree of perpetual imperfection. I want us to look at this genealogy, which begins in verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. We know some of those stories. Perhaps you grew up hearing them in Sunday school or in a Bible story book your parents read to you. Abraham has some real highlights in his life, and there are some real lowlights. We see him lie and hang his wife out to dry, so to speak, to preserve himself. He struggled in faith even when God labored to reaffirm his promise again and again. Yet he he took God's idea and tried to make it work himself because he doubted too many years were going by. Surely the Lord had misspoken about a son. Abraham is far from perfect. He fathers Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob is known for his deceit again and again. Jacob's the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. There's a story of a seductive deceiver, a manipulative woman that we would probably blush to read from Genesis this morning if it were in public. Perez is the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Usually when we hear that name, it's with an attached description. We know her as Rahab the harlot, the prostitute from Jericho. Boaz marries Rahab, and Boaz is the father of Obed by Ruth. And now we are into the arch enemies of Israel, the Moabites, Ruth, one of these Moabites, is married into an Israelite family, an outsider, a Gentile, an enemy of God's people. Obed becomes the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. First the shepherd boy, but here, in Matthew's emphasis of the kingdom, we know David as the king. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So we are reminded of David's adultery, of his arranged murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, that mighty man of valor. And then comes Solomon by that adulterous incident with Bathsheba, whose listed here not by her name, but by who she was, who she belonged to in covenant marriage. She was the wife of Uriah. 
whatever blame we would assign to her, what the text highlights is something was wrong there. The king had a son, a great son, by someone else's wife. Solomon is the father of Rehoboam, that arrogant and independent son who would split the kingdom of Israel. Rehoboam is the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph. Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, one of the great kings on the Mount Rushmore of Israel's kings for length of reign and for success in reign, and yet he dies in shame as a leper. Highlighting again the folly of our thinking that one of these kings will surely be that great king that was promised to sit on David's throne. Uzziah is the father of Jotham, and Jotham is the father of Ahaz. Ahaz should have a place in the telling of the Christmas story. In his stubborn unbelief, he rejected the promise of God to provide help in the face of military threat. So patient is God that he he even demands, he commands Ahaz to ask for a sign, a spectacular sign that God's promise would be true to deliver him from his enemies. And Ahaz refuses in stubborn unbelief. And so Isaiah the prophet says, if you won't ask for a sign, behold, you will receive a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. And that great promise in Isaiah chapter 7 comes to us in the context of the story of the failure of yet another generation through Ahaz. Ahaz is the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, a name that would go down in Israel's history as cursed, as one of the most despicable kings to rule in Israel, perhaps most notably for his child's sacrifice. Rank idolatry was plunging Israel into certain judgment, and it comes under Jeconiah, who's there listed as the son of Josiah in verse 11. Jeconiah and his brothers usher in the deportation to Babylon, what we call the Babylonian captivity, those years of captivity to pay off the years of disobedience of God's people. What a family tree. Eventually we get down to the names we recognize. After Babylon, there's the return under Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, Abiad, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliad, Eliad, the father of Eleazar. We're kind of marching now through those two, 400 years of silence between Malachi and Luke chapter 1 when we hear of the angel's announcement to Zechariah. Eleazar is the father of Mathan, and Mathan is the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, 
husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Messiah or Christ. We recognize a few names as we go through that list. Our Bibles, with a little study, would lead us to some other details that would only continue to make the point that brokenness is a part of everyone's story. When we look at this family tree, generation after generation of brokenness and imperfection, it sets the table for our second observation from these genealogies, that brokenness points to our need for a Savior. See, we're not here to simply talk brokenness. Quite frankly, our society and even the church at large tends to celebrate brokenness. It's a, it becomes a, a boasting point, a badge of honor, a, a, a pass to entitlement. We're not here to celebrate brokenness. Because if we're really honest, we, we hate it. We hate what it does. We hate its effects. We hate its lingering scars. The brokenness of these generations that unfold in this family tree are to lead us to more study of Matthew chapter 1. And that is the announcement of a son, savior, remedy. Somebody that would deal with all of this brokenness as God had promised in that proto-evangel, that very first gospel word in Genesis 3. Brokenness points to our need for a savior. You see, Matthew chapter 1 has some pretty solid logic to it. After reading the genealogies and noting these shameful historical details, it makes sense that we would read of the announcement of God's solution to all that mess. None of those kings were the king who would reign in righteousness. None of those eras in Israel's history gave us that perfect prophet with fullness of truth. None of those people lived through a day where there was a perfect priest with a perfect sacrifice who could say, finally, we're done with this system. Don't bring any more sacrifices. No, they had to keep doing it and doing it. But in Matthew chapter 1, we're walking out of the shadows and coming face to face with the reality, with the substance. Call his name Jesus. Born as the son of Joseph, son of Mary. It makes sense to hear he will save his people after generation upon generation of wickedness and failure and imperfection. We need saving. You see, we were good at sin, but not righteousness. We're good at hate, but not love. We're good at pride, but not humility. We're good at serving self, but not at serving others. And we can't fix our brokenness. We only perpetuate it. That's what the genealogies teach us. Another generation, another son, another generation of hope, another generation of disappointment. We need a savior. 
And God's promise of that sin remedy is revealed as the angels announced according to Luke, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. We would be right to say, unto you is born this day that Savior. Because all of the Old Testament and all these genealogies have been saying, he's coming, he's coming, a son will come. And sons were born. Would it be this generation? Would it be this one? And thousands of years went by since that first promise. Until that announcement, this day is born that son, the Savior. A Savior who would identify with our brokenness by taking on our humanity and entering into our sorrows. He would become acquainted with the griefs of living in a sin-cursed world. He would bear our sin, our ruin, our curse, our judgment. That is gospel. That Christ, born in a manger, would grow and live in perfect righteousness and as a substitute sacrifice would take God's curse on himself in our place. Every manifestation of brokenness cries out for a remedy. Every physical ache or pain you have, every mental distress, every emotional conflict, every broken relationship, every injustice in the workplace or in our society or around the world, every brokenness cries out for a remedy, for healing. And the prophet said that will only come one way. When the sun rises, the sun of righteousness with healing in his wings. The very existence of brokenness is a billboard for Christmas hope. Jesus saves. The brokenness that you'll see throughout this day and tomorrow and in the coming week and year, should the Lord tarry, the brokenness should remind you, Jesus saves. It's like reading the genealogies again and hearing all the ugly stories of sin and ruin. They're there to make a point. Jesus saves. So when you see disability and physical sickness and cancerous tumors on the MRI... Remember, Jesus saves. And when relationships aren't what they should be this Christmas and you long for restoration, remember, that's a billboard. Jesus saves. He's the remedy. He's the fix to all the brokenness in our stories. Brokenness points to our need for a Savior. This genealogy of messed up people makes our third point clear as well. That being, brokenness reveals the wonder of grace. Brokenness reveals the wonder of grace. 
on the backdrop of human brokenness, the beauty and power of grace are highlighted. Some of you are artists and would understand taking a plain black backdrop and splashing bright colors and brilliant scenes on it. And the darkness would highlight, it would make the the brightness pop, we might say. Well, when we read the genealogies and really the Old Testament, it's it's dark, it's, it's frustrating, it's unfulfilling, it's disappointing. It creates in us a longing. But that backdrop then provides the beautiful background to the brightness of the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Light came into the world, and that light was the life of men. Brokenness reveals the wonder of God's grace. This is true of saving grace. We are rescued from our sin and its eternal consequence. We're rescued from that brokenness, and the restoration begins. But this is also true of sanctifying grace. Because you know, when you put your faith in Jesus, it's not like all the brokenness of life goes away. It's still there. We're still in Romans 8, groaning, awaiting the fullness of our redemption when we put off this corruptible body and we are done with a world groaning under the curse. God's word to us in 2 Corinthians is this. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? So that this glory and perfection of God would be seen in these imperfect vessels. Paul would later write in that same letter of his weakness, of a physical infirmity that that just set him back. And he asked the Lord to take it away, and God's word to him was, my grace is sufficient. And having believed that by faith, Paul's conclusion is, when I am weak, it is then that I am strong by grace. You see, God uses broken people to display the wonder of his grace. Paul would describe himself as the chief of sinners, now proclaiming a gospel that transforms sinners. So when people looked at his life, they would see this this trophy of God's transformational work. Before a few closing applications, I want to remind you of number four. Brokenness itself will be broken. The brokenness that still lingers in our Christian life now, that brokenness will one day be broken. Three times in Romans 8, in just one paragraph, the Bible says we wait. We wait for the fullness of our deliverance from the groaning of this cursed world. A day will come when we will groan no more. We will sorrow no more. We will long no more. 
we will miss loved ones no more. There will be nothing that makes us think, oh, if only. Revelation 21 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for those former things have passed away. That's why we sing songs that declare our hope springs eternal. We have that kind of hope, believing that that brokenness will be broken, that we will rise to meet the Lord, and that sin and death will be destroyed, and that we will feast in endless joy because Christ is ours forevermore. Brothers and sisters, fix your eyes on the end when brokenness is broken, when ruin is ruined, when death is put to death. And we know only restoration. And maybe that will be foreign to us because the tears have been wiped away and we don't remember the former brokenness. So what can we do in response to a passage with the genealogy of broken people? Look at those four points one last time and see our response to them. Brokenness is every person's story. So what does that mean for us? It means this. Acknowledge your sinfulness. See your need for righteousness. All that brokenness unfolds in Matthew chapter 1, and then it's matched by a simple name, Jesus. He saves people from their sins. So acknowledge your sinfulness. See your need for rescue by Jesus. That's our second point. Brokenness points to the need of a Savior. So do you need Jesus this Christmas? Some of you give a hearty yes. You've already thrown your faith on Jesus. Others perhaps are wrestling with who is this Jesus? Why do I need him? Well, the Bible is saying it's because you're broken and ruined by sin and only Jesus can rescue. Trust him to make you righteous, to forgive you of your sin, to give you everlasting life with him. Define Christmas this year with the hope of Jesus as your rescuer. Point number three, brokenness reveals the wonder of grace. Having put your faith in Jesus, While groaning in a sin-cursed world, find God's grace to be sufficient. Or just, just stop singing of it. Stop talking about it. Stop decorating your homes with amazing grace themes if we're not gonna believe that this grace really is sufficient, substantial, Find his grace to be sufficient. God can use you for his purpose and glory despite your imperfections, despite your doubts and fears, your failures and struggles, despite your record in the past. 
Stop believing the lies of the devil that you're, you're not ready for this, that you're worthless, that you don't have any place to serve in the church, that you're too messed up, that you're damaged goods. That's the way the devil works. Just keep repenting, keep marveling at God's grace, and recognize, yes, we were broken, and some of the effects of that brokenness may still linger in our lives. But here's what the Bible says. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So get busy. Enough of the pity party, enough celebrating brokenness. It's time to move on because of the name Jesus. Restorer, fixer, sin remedy, savior. Finally, brokenness itself will be broken. So what does that mean for us now? It means that we hope in the promise of all things being made new. This is good news. That babe in a manger is the sin remedy. He is the great restorer of things that are broken, so we have hope this Christmas. Oh, we groan in hope. We sorrow in hope. But we press on in hope. We run the race in hope. Parent in hope. Marry and stay married in hope. Pray for the lost loved ones of our families in hope. Share the gospel. Advance the kingdom. Our study in Acts. In hope. Believing that one day all things will be made new. I think most of us understand the idea of a house being labeled as a fixer-upper. Either by having the skills to work on such house, or, for the rest of us, having seen it on television, right? All those home remodeling shows. Well, if you were house hunting, some of you would never even consider a fixer-upper. The task is beyond your skills. Too much brokenness. The list of problems would be overwhelming. It would seem hopeless. But with that in our minds, remember this. Christmas reminds us that God is never intimidated by brokenness. Fixing sin's brokenness is what God does. It's what he promised to do in Genesis 3. It's what the whole Old Testament points toward. And then Jesus is born. And fixing becomes a reality. And now we've tasted that redemption, that solution, that fixing. And now by faith in Jesus, we are just awaiting that final day when everything is made right, made new. Remember that Jesus came to crush the serpent's head. 
He came to destroy the works of the devil, and he came to fix what sin had so thoroughly ruined. So thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Heavenly Father, we rejoice on this Christmas Eve day to think of Jesus leaving his throne in glory, in humility to serve us as our Savior. Lord, in your mercy, shine this gospel light into the hearts of any here who would be struggling to believe that Jesus is all they need. And as we celebrate this good gift of Jesus to us, would you give us the grace not only to worship in this moment, but to leave this place anchored to hope, Christmas hope, that you, our God, will keep every promise you have made, that you will save your people, and that you will continue to use us even as flawed, imperfect earthen pots to shine the glory of transformation found in Jesus to this world who so desperately needs that light. Lord, we rejoice in the joy and the peace that is ours through Jesus, even though we may groan. We have already prayed this morning for those who are hurting in this season. May your word to them be hope. And may all of us be full of faith to respond in a way that would glorify you, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by whom we pray. Amen.